I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Ephesians chapter 2. We took a two-week break working our way through the book of Ephesians, and so we're back in it this morning in a message entitled, Made Alive. I don't know about you, but I am a sucker for a good home renovation show. I love to see the before and after pictures. I love to see things that you would look at if you were walking through a house and saying, there is no way I would live there, turn into something where you say, I want to live there. And isn't it amazing that they seem to do it on a shoestring budget? You know, what's interesting as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 this morning is we're going to see a renovation story. We're going to see it play out in the text this morning as Paul is writing to a group of believers in Ephesus as he is going to remind them of the great renovation that Jesus Christ has made in their hearts. And so as we read through the text this morning, I want you to keep that in mind. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see. That you would open our ears that we would be able to hear. And that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As we dive into the text this morning, I want to remind you where we are in the book of Ephesians. I want to remind you of Paul's purpose in writing this letter, what he is seeking to accomplish as he is imparting truth to the believers who are located in the city 
of Ephesus. Ephesus was an important city in the ancient Roman world. In fact, it was a major hub city, not only for trade in the area, but it was also the center place of one of the great wonders of the world. There was a temple that was set up to a false god that people would travel thousands of miles to come and to worship at this temple. And as we walk through the book of Acts, we're reminded that Paul had gone to this important city and had begun preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, had begun sharing the truth of who Jesus is, that there is only one true God. And that salvation can only be found in His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent to this world to die on the cross for our sins. Paul is proclaiming this gospel message and thousands and thousands of people in this important city are trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior. In fact, it creates such a stir in this city that the idol makers are seeking to run Paul out and eventually do run him out of the city. But A church has been started. A church has been planted. There are thousands of believers in this city, and this is a point in time where the gospel is flourishing in this city. And Paul is writing back to them. And as we've talked about in chapter 1, we're going to see it in chapter 2 and even into chapter 3, Paul is doing something at the beginning of this important book before he gives them instructions for how to live out the Christian life. He wants to ground them in the reality of their identity as followers of Jesus. He wants them to know who they are before he asks them to live out who they are. He wants them to understand their identity in Jesus Christ before he tells them to live out that identity in a lost world. As we see in chapter 2, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that will frame our time together this morning, and it's this truth, the miraculous work that Jesus has done in the life of of the Christian serves as the fuel to live a life on fire for him. The miraculous work that Jesus Christ has done, if you are a follower of him in your life, serves as the fuel for you to live on fire for him. So I want you to notice in verses 1 through 3 that Paul wants us to recognize first the reality of our hopeless condition apart from Jesus. The reality of our hopeless condition apart from Jesus Christ. Notice he says in verse 1, and he's writing this to believers. He is describing for them what they were before they met Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that verses 1 through 3 describe your present reality. And if you are a follower of Jesus here this morning, this described your reality before you met Jesus Christ. 
Notice what he says in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's an encouraging way to start a sermon, right? But Paul says to these believers, I want you to be reminded of what you were before you met Jesus Christ. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He said, you once walked in them. And that word walk means you lived and breathed and moved in that world. That was who you are. That was who your identity was before you met Jesus Christ. You were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, you were following the course of, of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Not only does Paul say you were dead in your sins and trespasses, he says even more that that is the world in which we live. We live in a lost and dying world apart from Jesus Christ. And he says, for you, before you met Jesus, that was where you were. Not only that, he says that you were following the prince of the power of the air. That Satan is who you were aligned with. That you were walking in relationship with him. That you were following the sons of disobedience. Notice what he says in verse 3. Among whom we all once lived. Paul is a follower of Jesus Christ who has preached the gospel in this important city who has led thousands of people to trust Jesus as their Savior. Paul says to them, I was right there with you. Follower of Jesus, let me remind you that Prior to meeting Jesus Christ, you and I and Paul and all the believers were there. Verses 1 through 3 described us. That's where we lived. We were carrying out, he says, continue on in verse 3, the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature Children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And you may look at that and you think, man, what a downer there, Paul. Thanks for that. Doesn't seem very encouraging here. It's about to get encouraging, but here's what I want you to know that Paul is so fixated on helping these believers understand their true identity in Jesus Christ that he reminds them of what they used to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, if you've trusted him as your Savior, the truth is you used to be something that you're no longer. Some of you may have been like me. Maybe you were saved at an early age. I was eight years old when I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. You look and you say, man, are you telling me, Pastor Michael, that those verses described you before you met Jesus 
And my answer is absolutely. You say, man, what kind of eight-year-old were you? And the truth is, I was a normal eight-year-old. Some of you are like, my kind of eight-year-old or somebody else's kind of eight-year-old. But the reality is for us as followers of Jesus, every single one of us, every single one of us, before we met Jesus, were dead in our sins. If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, that describes you. That describes where you are in this moment. You know, it's interesting that I get different pieces of advice from various people at times in preaching. To say, Pastor, I wish you would talk about this more. Or I wish you would address stuff that's going on in our culture more. I wish you would talk about politics more. Let's go there for just a second, all right? It's not going to be what you think it's going to be, so don't get too excited. Verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians chapter 2 remind us of this great reality. All of the problems that exist in this world are symptoms of the greatest problem that every single person has apart from Jesus Christ, and that is that they are a sinner. I want you to hear me again. The problem in our world is that people do not know Jesus. And I want you to hear me. Politics won't fix that. The church and believers who are faithful to preach and teach and share the gospel of Jesus Christ have the opportunity to fix that. Some of you are like, well, he did go there, didn't he? But I've told you before, church, if I thought politics would fix it, I'd be a politician. I don't think politics fixes the problems in our world because the problems in our world are sin problems. People need someone who can save them from their sin, and the only person who can do that is Jesus Christ. I know it's Mother's Day, but parents, I want to challenge you with that truth. There are too many Christian parents who are content with moral kids who get a good job and marry a good spouse, but who are not concerned ultimately with where their kids are spiritually. Hear me this morning. The greatest thing that you can give your kids is a true picture of who Jesus Christ is. You know, it's interesting, moms, you get this. I had a conversation with one of our guys earlier standing out at the door. He said, Pastor, I remember you saying that on Mother's Day, the church is packed. There's standing room only in here. Come Father's Day, amen or ouch, Right? But hear me in this, moms, 
Here's the reason why. You know this. You know that your kids need Jesus. You know that your husbands need Jesus. And that's why on Sunday like this, you're here. You want your family to be here. You want them to hear the message of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you and I in this world that is lost and dying, separated from a relationship with Jesus Christ and going to hell to realize that verses two, chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 describes what's going on. I had a seminary professor that said one time to us as we were bemoaning what was going on in the culture, he said this to us. He said, what makes you think that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to act like they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? We look and we say, man, we've got problems in our culture. Why do we have problems in our culture? Because people don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It should not surprise us. It should not alarm us that when we interact with people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they act like they don't have a relationship with Jesus. But for us as believers, we should look at that and go, I know where the solution is to the problems you're experiencing. The solution is not politics. The solution is not more education. The solution is not a better job. It's not more money. The solution is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. So as we look, we're reminded, and what Paul wants us to grasp and, and anchor our souls to is the reality of our hopeless condition apart from Jesus Christ. Not only that, as we continue on, Paul wants us to recognize, secondly, the extravagance of God's mercy and grace at work in our lives as believers. I want you to notice that beginning in verse 4, the trajectory of this passage of Scripture takes a hard turn. It's like if you're ever on a river and you're moving along in a boat and it just turns the opposite direction. Guys, if you're playing golf or ladies, if you're playing golf, you have a dogleg right moving down the fairway, and it takes a totally different direction. And that's exactly what happens in verse 4. Paul says, here is the reality of what life is like apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice though verse 4, but God. I don't know if you know this or not, but throughout Scripture, this is a phrase that is often used. A description of life apart from the Lord, a description of life apart from a late relationship with Jesus Christ, and then these words enter into the picture, but God. So what we've just seen is what reality looks like apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, dead in our sin, aligned with Satan, following the passions of our flesh, doing whatever we want to do, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Listen to this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Notice this next phrase. He made us alive together 
with Christ. I want you to notice what happens, verses 2, 1 through 3, and then what happens beginning in verse 4. Every single thing that Paul says is true about us before we meet Jesus Christ. In verses 4 through 7, the exact opposite happens. So we saw it there just to begin with. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Jesus Christ made us alive in Him. We went from dead to alive. He continues on. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And listen to this. Verse 6. He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So not only when we were dead in our sins that He made us alive in Christ, but when we were aligned with the evil one and following the course of this world, He made us alive in Christ and He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. We went from dead to alive. We went from aligned with the evil one to seated at the right hand of the Father with our Savior Jesus Christ. He doesn't stop there. It says in verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What did we deserve in verses 1 through 3? We saw it at the end of verse 3. We deserved God's wrath because of our sin. So think about that. We moved from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. We moved from being aligned with the evil one to being seated at the right hand of the Father. We moved from being deserving of God's wrath against our sin here to being prepared to receive the immeasurable riches of God's kindness and grace towards us. Do you see the renovation that takes place in the life of a believer? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that's you. That's who you used to be and that is now who you are because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Remember, I told you that Paul's desire, his heartbeat, is for the believers in Ephesus and for us as believers today to root ourselves in the truth of our identity in Jesus Christ. That we would get this. That it would move from our heads to our hearts. That we would fix our feet and plant our feet firmly in our identity in Jesus Christ. Because, and this is where we go beginning in verse 8. Not only does Paul want us to recognize the reality of our hopeless condition apart from Jesus and then the extravagance of God's mercy and grace at work in our lives, but here, as we see in verses 8 through 10, Paul wants us to recognize the incredible opportunity to live out of the overflow of who we are in Jesus. I mean, if he stopped there at the end of verse 7, it would still be glorious. 
It would still be amazing the transformation that has happened in the life of a believer and the hope that is available for life transformation to those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. I mean, it is incredible. But believer, here's what I want you to understand. We're moving from what's true about your identity to now, how do we live it out? And the problem is we often think we have to live it out out of just sheer willpower in our lives. As if we have to get up every single morning and we have to say, oh, I got I to gotta do this Christian life again. I got to live out what God tells me I'm supposed to live out in the Christian life. But I want you to know what Paul does here. What Paul is going to do and what he's going to do as we continue to move through the book of Ephesians is he's going to say, if you understand your identity in Jesus Christ, that will be the fuel that will enable you to live out the Christian life. You live out of the overflow of who you are in Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Unless you think this is something you do on your own goodwill or you make the decision for Jesus Christ to change your life. Notice what he says here. This is not your own doing. You didn't do this. You didn't do this transformation in your life as a follower of Jesus. You weren't good enough. You weren't great enough. You weren't grand enough to make that happen in your life. Jesus Christ is the only one who's able to do that. So you didn't do that on your own. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Think about that. Jesus Christ has so skillfully renovated our lives that just like on the grand reveals on these home renovation shows, they pull the curtain back or they pull the slider back and you're able to see and go, wow, look at that. That's exactly what Jesus Christ sees when he sees you and me as followers of Jesus. We are his workmanship. He looks at us and says, look at what I did. Look at the transformation. Look at where they used to be and where they are now. Look at what happened in their lives. Look where they were and where they've been brought. And notice what he says here. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This renovation that Jesus Christ has done in our lives is for a purpose. And that purpose is that out of the overflow of what Christ has done in us, we would live out of that in this world in which we find ourselves. That we would live out of our identity in Jesus Christ. If you grasp that, Paul is confident it will transform the way you live your life. It will remind you of who you were before you met Jesus. It will remind you that the crazy people in this world that you look at and say, I can't believe they do the things that they do. It will remind you that that used to be you. 
but for the grace of God, you would still be there. But Jesus Christ has renovated your life, transformed you, made you new. So out of the overflow of the truth of that, we have the privilege of living that out in this world. Hear me this morning. People don't need you to preach at them. They need you to live out of the overflow of what Christ has done in their lives, in your life. You look and you say, Pastor, but they need to know that they're sinners. They do. And maybe the way that you can share that with them is to say, so am I. And what Christ has done in my life, He can do in your life. And church, if we will live out of the overflow of what Christ has done in our lives, we will have no difficulty sharing the hope that we found in Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world.